It's time for a little something. I forget. My notes say I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Molly Balin from Escape from New York Minute, and it's time to discuss Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But they're erasing me, and I have no memory of any of this. So I assume you're Molly. You can take over. Great. Yeah. You've, you've assumed correctly. So um, the, it the says little... it on the Zoom screen. So oh. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> I applaud you, sir, for your extrapolation of information. And yes, thank you for having me. I am indeed Molly. I am here. And whatever memories I have of being here are still here. So I'm holding on to them. What about this movie? Where do those memories begin? <laughs> you know, I don't think I saw this one in the theater. Okay. I think this was a, a, a rental after. But I remember being really intrigued by it because of Kate Winslet's hair. (laughs) I know that's really shallow, but I was just like, the thing that I love about this movie is how awkward these characters are and how kind of emo normal, you know, they are. I think Jim Carrey might have mentioned something that Joel's character is more like how he is when he's not like super on performing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what really initially attracted me to it. And I love surreal shit anyway. But just them being very average and I don't know, I still have like a strong association of Kate Winslet from Titanic and being very polished to it. And and just, I I don't know, I just love the two weeks of like grow out and blue ruin she's got in the Mm -hmm. beginning of this movie. So Well, yeah, you can tell the passage of time by her hair in this movie and they do a great job of it Mm -hmm. because otherwise the movie doesn't tell you when things are. No. And it could have been more confusing because the transition in the shooting script here as this minute begins is Joel arriving home and the screen was supposed to say three days earlier and it's him arriving home with the lacuna van is waiting outside which in the movie that was last night it's the moment we see in minute 20 later where the van is arriving our only clue that anything was weird is he has the blue dots on his temples Mm. because they drew those so they could connect the the machine to him and they don't go to the river which we're going to see in this minute until near the end of the movie we don't see that moment of them going there in the present. Mm-hmm. But there was a great thing in the thing where Joel is doing a voiceover, right? And I often complain about voiceovers. You know, Groundhog Day Project blog, you can find me complaining about voiceovers a lot. <laughs> Most voiceovers in movies amount to someone saying three sentences at the beginning of the movie and then one at the end. And it it's lame. <laughs> it's basically someone at the studio said, but will they understand this? And like, fine, we'll have someone tell them. This movie, it, there's, it's necessary. We're in his brain for most of the movie. But here it was Joel interacting with his narrator because he sees the van and he says, this is just a couple examples. Joel says, the driver waved, so casual, friendly. And the voiceover says, I'm like a joke to them. Then at one point, Joel says, I might be making a mistake. And the voiceover says, maybe I'm making a mistake. <laughs> maybe I just need to learn to live with this. First of all, I'll get over it. Secondly, it happened. Those who do not remember history are condemned to repeat it. Who said that? Churchill? I'm not sure, (laughs) but I don't care. She did it to me. I have to rid myself of this. Fuck her. And then Joel says, fuck you, Clementine. And so he's like going back and forth with his own narration, which I kind of like the idea of that. But I, I, as far as I know, it might be the only time it happens. I did read the script a few years ago. I'm not reading all of it and I'm reading it as I go this time. Yeah. I don't remember it happening other than. Well, it doesn't happen in the movie. Yeah. But I remember hearing some, where am I? But I. Maybe I was reading your notes about it and that's where I, Maybe. but yeah, I don't remember in the beginning there being some kind of like voiceovery thing, but I think that this does work though. Mm-hmm. I think that that kind of conversation, cause I agree. I think voiceover is usually frowned upon even from like a screenwriting perspective. Yeah. And God help you. If you use voiceover in your work, my friends, God help you. 
It's flaccid, sloppy writing. Any idiot can write voiceover narration to explain the thoughts of a character. You know? It's a crutch. So, yeah, it really is. Insert um, soundbite from adaptation. <laughs> another Charlie Kaufman uh-huh. jam. <laughs> but yeah, I do think it would work here, though, that conversation. Well, right, because it's who Joel is, and it establishes that he's going to be interacting with himself, even before we know what this movie is. If you haven't seen a trailer, well, actually, even if you've seen the trailer, you might not know what this movie's about. Mm-hmm. And at this point, nothing weird has happened other than awkward people trying to get together. Yeah. So him interacting with himself works for the character because he keeps a journal. Going forward, we know his memories matter, and that goes to the journaling as well. He has missed two years of his journal. And we've talked about like what he would think when he all he said is, oh, two years, I haven't made an entry. But it would have been interesting to get more thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. what do you think when you find that you've ripped out two years of your journal? But don't remember doing it. Like, does he have a drinking problem like Clementine definitely does in the film? I don't know. Does he have long periods of depression where he forgets what happens? Maybe. The movie kind of downplays it. Is it we are in the present. And then even the past is pretty close to the present because it all happened last night. Technically, the movie only takes place over a day and a half. Right. Right. Because it's just kind of the the getting together Mm -hmm. part of it. Or it might be two and a half days. Because they go to the Charles tomorrow night. Right. And it's when they come back, they get the mail that Mary sends tomorrow. Right, right. Yeah. Again, with like confusing loops of like, when when does stuff happen? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the letter being referenced, you know, when he actually goes in to, you know, the clinic, but that's later. And then like him leaving and coming back. And right. yeah, there's there's a bit of that kind of odd continuity. And when Elijah Wood comes into the thing mm-hmm. and, you know, the interjection of, yes, there's a lot of this kind of like non-linear explanation that kind of happens first thing in the beginning where you're like, where where are we at with, have we met on the train or, you know, when he goes into her work and. Right. Even if you've um, seen the film before, you might get lost as like, is this the first time they met? Mm-hmm. The second, the third, it's the second, but you don't know that yet. You don't even know there's the first and second of anything. Right. Yeah. Cause they like kind of hook up later cause they go, I mean, the ice is kind of a date yeah. date. Right. Yeah. But it also plays into something we were talking about on two days ago and Manushek's Machina. It's like, it's a movie. We see the scenes they chose to explain this. It's not that they didn't have more relationship or more time together that we didn't see. Same with like a montage later in Groundhog Day. You know, people talk about how long he had to be there to learn French. I'm like, A, he didn't learn French. But B, even if he did, he had all these other days we saw parts of to learn some basic French. Or he might have known French before. He went to a freaking private school run by a college in Cleveland. He could speak another language. Yeah. And here we're getting those things out of order because it's memory and memory reconnects and reforms every time you remember it. So you connect all these things together and it's a problem if you erase stuff like that. Yeah. Or could be. Yeah. Haven't tried yet. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they make that kind of comment early on is that I think when he's initially trying to map his brain, Mm -hmm. Mark Ruffalo is trying to map his brain and, you know, sits him down. It's like, okay, well, you know here's you know you brought the items in your bag and then he's like oh this this has a really cute story to it and he's like no 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 we just remember the core of the emotion because they're trying to find where it started not what he's connected it with for two years but then they're also missing what he connected it to for two years Mm -hmm. and so that's the reason in his head later they she can say meet me in montauk and probably in her head when she had him erased it was also meet me in Montauk. So she's probably been going to Montauk every day since she erased him. Yeah. This is the day he finally shows up there. Yeah. So it creates problems. 
but it's kind of like that bit of that bit of voiceover that didn't get in the film right there where he's like maybe i should just i need to learn to live with this Mm. because you know loss is part of your life yeah yeah it's interesting because i feel like there's a part of him that really is very closed off even in the beginning Mm -hmm. you know that he's very well, constricted except and- he just had his brain damage last night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> see. Yeah. Well, we do see when he first, he is a lot like that, even the first time they meet. Yeah. But he'd have good reason to be even more awkward and shut down now because right. he had part of his brain erased last night. Well, uh, yeah, technically, technically speaking, the procedure it is, is brain damage. Yeah. Yeah. It's, what it's what does he say? Oh, it's like on par of like a bad night of drinking. Nothing you miss. It's all good. <laughs> I mean, well, I guess I should ask you this. Like, how do you feel about kind of like the surreal aspects of like the memory with, with this movie? I, you know? I love how it ended up. And I've read the parts in the, the published screenplay has a whole afterward about things they had tried to do mm. where they were going to have him watching from like outside a window and all these scenes. And visually it just came across kind of weird. Wow. That's a really good. So that's really interesting to me that you say that because even this particular minute has this perspective of a third party in the room. Right. You know, which is okay if we are the third party, Mm -hmm. but having him just kind of off at the side watching all these things happen would be, it's like have you have your voiceover person there on screen the whole time. And that would get distracting. Just mm-hmm. like voiceovers, same reason they go away in the middle of a movie a lot. because mm-hmm. You hope in the middle of the movie, we're invested in the characters, we're invested in the plot, and there's enough happening. We don't need voiceover. Right. If you've done your job. <laughs> they don't need to hold our hand. Right. There's the extreme where it just turns into a few sentences at beginning and end, or just at the beginning, which is even worse. <laughs> but in the movie, it's still going to have less of it because we are there. We've bought in. Mm-hmm. We might not be able to follow what's happening because a lot of this is, as you say, surreal. They have they put sets next to each other. There's an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that played on that, that their sets were right next to each other and it was supposed to be a dream. So they simply had them crawl from one set to the next. Mm. And so the school that was right next to the, like, I think Giles' apartment was right next to the school set. Now they could just use it and use that connection because the sets were near each other. That's pretty so awesome. They had they use the bookstore and just put the other thing next to it. And it makes the way I'm like dreams happen. You're describing a dream. You're like, so I'm at my, I'm at a dance at school. And then rather abruptly, and you, you have to try to explain that you're abruptly somewhere else. I'm like, no, that's just how dreams work. Mm-hmm. The next scene is in a different place, but transitions are instantaneous because they're movies. Yeah. And so this one works because it's essentially a movie that uses the structure of what movies can do really well to tell a story that for some people is hard to follow. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Lynch fan, so, you know, I'm, right. I'm used to like things being more uh, watercolor, abstract, emotional, like, you know, you're, you're getting bits of information, but it doesn't necessarily like all cogently fit together, you know, go watch a razor head and then watch this. This will be perfectly fine to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say that this is is more of a a tether than, than a lot of his other stuff. So yeah, that makes sense. Some, I mean, I guess Mulholland Drive is somewhat cogent. Right. Mulholland but... Drive, Lost Highway, people just turn into other people in the middle. Yeah. This one, they turn into other people, except those people are themselves. Yeah. David Lynch fans jump in. Yep. <laughs> I do like Joel's apartment though, because it looks like a small apartment he can barely afford because it's got stacks of things, shelves of books. There's a shelf above the door with a banker box on it. It's a little tiny shelf. And I'm like, I lived in a tiny apartment once. And yeah, I had to have stacks of things hidden in a corner by the bookshelves. He has a three-tiered shoe rack. 
but apparently only has four pairs of shoes, <laughs> which is overkill in his closet. But he's also very organized. There's a closet organizer behind that in the closet with like little built-in shelves, a little one that you can put together in cubes. So he's very organized because he has a lot of stuff. And we'll see you later. He has a lot of like artwork that he has to put away. So he's got to have a way to file all these things. Yeah. I, I There's something about this apartment that just like reads really, they, they did a really amazing job with the set decoration for his apartment. Mm-hmm. Like there's something really warm about it. I love that he's pensive here and, and he's underneath a lamp in the corner. Like it has yeah, that. Yeah, he sits down. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I love the feeling of that where the rest of the apartment is dark. And I love that this is shot. I mean, actually, this is interesting for my husband gets very like dizzy with handheld movies. Okay. So we don't often watch, you know, certain movies that have a lot of that. And in, in, in he was Which like, this is all handheld. It's all handheld. <laughs> yeah. Because he was he was watching me review it. And he was like, oh, yeah, I remember this movie. I really can watch it because it's all pretty much <laughs> handheld. Mm-hmm. But I love that quality that there's something very personal about that and imperfect. And I think that that yep. the way it's shot just feeds into all this being kind of squishy memory stuff. Yeah. Right, as you said, it feels like there's a third party in the room watching this. He's sitting by the phone, we'll learn. He's waiting to call. I had to interrupt while editing because there's something I didn't know when we recorded this episode because it had slipped my mind to look up deleted scenes. The part in the script that I think I skip here, Joel, when he sits down in that chair by the lamp, he calls Naomi before he calls Clementine. In a later episode, I'll go into detail with what some of the deleted scenes are that have we've missed so far. There's more on the train, I think. There's this. But I think it's really telling, and I thought it included for people following along, that he doesn't sit down and call Clementine. He sits down, calls Naomi, and then calls Clementine. And he's nervous, and it's cute, except we don't know exactly that's what he's doing. We just know he's sitting there. And then we get a slightly different angle of the same, and then a cut to that same angle, but it gives us that sort of jarring reality where we don't see him reach for the phone. We skip from him thinking about it to his hand is already grabbing it. Mm -hmm. This is reality, this part of the movie, but already it's breaking up. And then he looks at the phone. He has to twist his hand around to read her phone number because it's written upside down. And we can read it. It says 9821913 and there's an X next to it. If you put uh, New York area code 718, you dial that number. I thought this was interesting because I don't know if it's on purpose. It is the office for people with developmental disabilities. Wow. Specifically the Staten Island office. Huh. I'm like, they put a real phone number on his hand. I mean, they didn't put an area code, but they didn't do a 555, which is nice. But they did put a number that goes to a specific thing. If you search that phone number, it's the first thing that comes up. It's really interesting. They did something that that actually exists in reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. I love that it's written on his hand. There's something that's uh, wild and kind of, you know, just just really speaks to Clementine to, oh, yeah. to not, not give him a piece of paper. I mean, this was last minute, but the way she wrote it is it was like she had a pen right there, ready to write on him. Mm-hmm. If this went well, she's writing in her number. She's done this before. Yeah. She has plans. Just like him. He's probably sat in the, I mean, we know he had an ex-girlfriend in the, in the script. They just had a one night stand just two nights ago now. And so- he probably sits in his chair often after he meets a woman and has their number. He's, he's like uh, John Favreau in Swingers, where he's like going to call immediately and mm-hmm. leave too many messages. It's not going to go well. This time, Joel has a chance. He doesn't know why. I just think it's sweet. I think this is that first blush of like, he feels awkward, so he doesn't want to stick around at her place. But he's like back here and he's like, uh, you know, and she's like, oh, did you miss uh-huh. me? Yeah, what took you so long? <laughs> yeah, like it's so cute. 
it's just the whole thing is just so cute in that he's I got you know his his connection and his intuition is rewarded in that moment you know one thing I love that they cut is that in the script she did tell him call her tonight oh she said just to test out the phone lines and all oh but the fact that she didn't tell him that in the movie but then she is perfectly fine with him having done it like Because she did say, you know, wish me a happy Valentine's Day, which implies they're going to call tonight because it's Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. But also he does call and she's happy about it. And that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Because he kind of like freaks out a little bit and kind of like bugs out of her place because she's coming on pretty strong to him. That whole conversation was, I mean, they changed it a lot in editing because they cut a lot of conversation from the train and from her apartment. Mm. So it felt like he had a miserable time Mm -hmm. and he got out of there as fast as possible. But then he seemed happy when he left. It creates sort of mystery. If we're into it, we like the movie so far. We want to know why doesn't this fit? Right. It is a little disjointed. It just kind of builds up for me that he's got some intimacy issues, but he's also kind of he's kind of left and he's sort of rethought it. Like it's almost like he needed a little bit of breathing room, a little bit of space because she is so larger than life with her. Her whole jam is just big, big energy, you know, the colorful outfit, the orange hoodie, the hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Digging in the bag, you know, whatever, like she's like sniffing in the Uh train. I mean, I know this is again, like, you know, the continuity is odd, but yeah, just Just all of her. The fact that she didn't, I mean, it was two things. She sat in the seat in front of him. but got up on her knees like a little kid Mm -hmm. and like that's just leaning in over him but then she moves to his seat as well so she keeps like getting even closer and closer Mm -hmm. and on the couch she was leaning on him and touching him she's she's coming on very strong yeah she definitely is and i don't (laughs) think he's used to that yeah but he likes it yeah i think it it warms him up because yeah i feel like he had this conversation maybe this is in the trailer and I'm conflating the two about like, you know, can't meet like a woman and, you know, maybe I need to meet someone new. He said that in the voiceover at the beginning. Okay. And then here's this person that like pops up. That's so, you know, I'm going to get married to you. We're going to get married, you know, like immediately, which is like normally for most people, like run for the hills, like red flags, like you're insane. You know, in his head, he was like, why do I fall in love with every woman I see? Mm -hmm. But then this woman he sees is coming on to him in the train, inviting him up to her apartment. And now when she says, you miss me. Yeah. Oddly enough, I do. Oh, you said I do. I guess that means we're married. Yeah. Which in a different context is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in this context, he says, I guess so. And it sounds like they both, like, it's not that they literally mean it, but they both think it's cute. Yeah. And it works for them. Yeah. That's what I kind of like about this is it just does feel like a couple of like lost people mm-hmm. that are really trying to connect. Yeah. And I like that for these, I, I kind of started with that, the, uh, that I like that these actors have, they're not as a listy, shiny Hollywood star kind of. I mean, you can even say that about like, so I love about Kirsten Dunst being in this too, you know, mm-hmm. and Mark Ruffalo, that there is this kind of like rough every man that they've kind of made. And of course, like Mark Ruffalo is, it's so interesting to, to think of some of these actors who have gone on to these, you know, epic, I mean, Marvel mm-hmm. or Elijah Wood, you know. Well, he was coming off right. Lord of the Rings trying to do little parts to kind of get back into just acting. Yeah, it's interesting. But it works really well for this. It does. Yeah, he's just, he's great. And he's someone we know, but he's very different from what we know. Yeah. And I remember him from like his first movies as a kid, like the, one of his first movies, The War is one of my mm. favorites. And he was like what, 11 and he was the lead. He was listed over Kevin Costner on that one. Wow. 
Yeah, I forget because he was a child actor. Yeah. Yeah. And Kirsten Dunst, you know, Interview with the Vampire. Mm-hmm. She's been around since she was a kid. Right. Because she had to be young on that. Like, I believe she was, well, she was 12 when the movie came out. So she probably was like 10 oh, okay. or 11 when they filmed it. Okay. She was a little I thought. Technically playing a six-year-old. Yeah. The character is in the book, but I think they don't say her age. They just let it be. Yeah. Because she's playing with dolls and whatnot. Yeah. And at this point, I mean, everyone knows Jim Carrey, but they don't know him as this. This isn't wacky comedy, Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Right. And Kate Winslet, everyone knows her from Titanic, but she's been in lots of other like indie movies, mm-hmm. but most of the audience wouldn't know those. So it's an interesting cast in who they are in the larger picture versus who they would seem to someone who just saw like the trailer for this movie. Yeah. And it's happy and energetic and wacky. And then they go watch it. And it's a serious <laughs> exploration of relationships. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of this indie hardcore turn for them, but I like it for mm-hmm. that reason. Oh yeah. I, f- I like the subtext of that, but I think this is a sweet minute too. Cause I, I feel like there's something really well done with the filmmaking of really capturing that first blush of when you meet someone that you're really, really interested in and you are a little bit awkward and, you know, you're kind of filled up with lusty feelings and, yeah. you know, you're hoping that someone else feels the same way and just the the joy of of being able to call and and have, have someone happy on the other end that you did. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think this is really well done here. So she asks him tomorrow night, honeymoon on ice. Mm-hmm. They're going to go to the Charles River. And I did put in my notes for anyone who's struggling to follow at this point. It is still most likely the night of the 14th. He had his memory erased the night of the 13th. The end of the movie is the morning of the 16th. Yeah, because you're saying two days. They're going to go on the Charles River tomorrow night. And it's when they come home that the mail has already arrived that Mary sends tomorrow morning. (laughs) (laughs) Even in my notes, I typed that wrong. No, it's confusing. It's like, even as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I need to look at it again. But even then it's like, that's because I want to obsess about getting that straight for anyone who can't follow it and wants to. Because the whole point with even the memories is they say it's the emotional core that matters. Yeah. And the emotional core of this movie is we just saw them get together. And in a few minutes, we're going to have an abrupt cut to sadness. Mm -hmm. And then the plot gets going. And we're already a long ways into this movie. Yeah. So it creates a structure where we don't, know why things feel a little off but in this minute we get cute things anyway and we're probably rooting for these people and even we don't know why they're awkward they clearly aren't communicating perfectly Mm -hmm. but they're trying and that means something yeah that there's still something there that aside from all the other dysfunction and things not working i mean there's 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 stuff not working yeah (laughs) yeah that uh what gets left is that that they don't erase that core love and that, you know, the connection between the two of them that was developed. Right. But then at the end of this minute, we get the beginning of what's their first in air quotes date Mm -hmm. as they're walking on the ice. And I love that as she says, it's really solid this time of year. We hear cracking. (laughs) (laughs) Which <laughs> is a great sound design. It is. So yeah, it's it's so solid, which he's, of course, nervous about it. I think he's more nervous about it when we see the first time they went here in his memories later, where he's actually afraid of this ice. I think he's a little more comfortable this time, which is good. Yeah, well, they lay down, you know, Yeah, which is pretty, I, I, again, yeah. like really good storytelling, you know, as a mm-hmm. representative of her of like, we're going to lay down on potentially thin ice together. Well, right. And because of, you know, the poster image, they're lying next to a big crack. Yeah. Which 
sort of serves the same role as that crack in the glass the next month. Yeah. Yes. It's a clue that something is wrong. You don't lay a couple next to a big crack unless you want us to notice they're next to a big crack. Yeah. Something is broken. Yeah. We won't know what for a few more minutes <laughs> and then we'll explore that in a lot of detail. Yeah. She says, well, I don't know. And it's her that slips right at the end of the minute. Yes. Right after she says yeah, it's solid. Yeah, yeah. And... She's the one who, yeah, slips and falls on her ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because she's got a bruise later. Yeah. <laughs> and she was just on this ice two nights ago. Right. With Patrick. And what, three years ago or whatever with Jill. Yeah. Apparently she takes all our guys here. It's a test. I didn't check the distance, but I'll, I'll look it up for next time how long it takes to get from where they live to the Charles River which is up by Boston. Yeah. It's a little bit of a drive for your first date, but hey, they took a few hours on a train for their meeting. So for them, it's okay. Yeah. Getting to know your time. And we don't see that drive. Next time, we'll get more of them on the ice. In the meantime, if listeners want to hear you talk about other movies, where can they do so? Or if they want to hear you do other things, you can promote other stuff too. Oh, yeah. Well, right now I'm producing a Wednesday Wake Up podcast, which is a meditation podcast with Gregory Maloof. So that's mm. what I'm cutting, putting together. So it's WednesdayWakeUp.com. And then if you want to hear me with hosting Cabin Minute Cast uh, with Heidi Bennett and Escape from New York Minute with Eric Deutsch, both can be found online. And both pretty good. I wasn't on the first one because I wasn't a movie by minute person yet. I am on that second one. Yeah. When they go to the train station. So listeners, thank you for listening and sticking with us this week. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia X Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for more Eternal Sunshine. You can also follow all three shows in a single feed and existential trilogy. You can follow this show on social media. By looking up Spotless Minute is the easiest way to find it. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to these and more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. And you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Till next time. Hi, this is Nikki Leave a message. Hey, uh, Nikki. This is Mike. I met you at the um, at the Dresden uh, tonight. Uh, I just called to, to say that I had a great time, and you should call me tomorrow or in uh, two two days, uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, my number is two one three five 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 four six seven nine. Hi, uh, Nikki. This is Mike again. I, I just called because it sounded like your, your machine might have cut me off when I when I uh, before I finished leaving my number. Anyway, uh, and you know, and also, um, sorry to call so late, but you were still at the Dresden when I left, so I knew I'd get your machine. Anyhow, uh, uh, my number is two one. Two one three five 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 four six seven nine. That's it. Just want to leave my number. I didn't want to think I was uh, weird or desperate. You should just uh, hang out and uh, see where it goes because it's nice and uh, you know expectations. So okay, thanks a lot. Bye bye.
I just got out of a six-year relationship, okay? That should help explain why I'm acting so weird. I just wanted you to know that. It, it's not you, it's me. I'm sorry. This is Mike. Hi, Nikki. This is this is Mike. Could you just uh, call me when you get in? I'm going to be up for a while, and I'd just rather speak to you in person instead of trying to fit it all into... Fuck! Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. Uh, Nikki and Mike. This, uh, this, this just isn't working out. I, I think you're great, but uh, I, maybe we should just some, take some time off from each other. It's not you, it's me, it's what, it's what I'm going through. All right, uh, it, it's, it, it's only been six months. Mike? Nikki, great! Did, did you just uh, walk in or were you, were you listening all along? Don't ever call me again. Wow, I, I guess you're home.